0: Hi, good evening everyone. Thanks so much for being here with us tonight. What a beautiful way to wrap up such a beautiful Sunday. We're glad that you're here. If this is your first time attending one of our CEO events, Welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you uh, have been here before, welcome back. Um, I'm Karen Roby Forrest, a parishioner here at St. Margaret Mary. And uh, I work for WLKY. Unfortunately, with my role, I have the opportunity to attend different events and introduce people and, and um, help host different events. And this is one of my favorites, certainly, to do uh, because I am a parishioner here and I love uh, the St. Margaret Mary community. And the CEO program, especially, is very special and has been a really Uh, neat new piece that they have added here so we're very grateful for all of those who have put so much time and energy into this program and in bringing in uh, so many great speakers here uh, to share their stories with us for those of you that don't know the CEO program this is new this is our first year here I think we've had about seven eight speakers now Seven, around seven to eight speakers, um, and we've had some just dynamic uh, conversations that have come out of all of these uh, stories. So, we're again, we're just really glad that you're here with us tonight and that you're here to hear uh, Bill's story as well. Now, during this Easter season, of course, our readings in church have been focused on Christ's call to his apostles to spread the good news of. Um, All nations. And our CEO program here helps to answer Jesus' call to all of us to evangelize or to share the good news of God with others. Now, the purpose of CEO is for lay people. Uh Uh-oh. Ordinary people just like you and me uh, to share their experience of how God has called them into a personal relationship with him. Now our speakers are carefully chosen and their presentations are reviewed ahead of time by a small team to ensure that their talk is well organized and that their remarks are grounded in scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church. Now through our CEO series we've offered several stories of ordinary people's faith journeys and of course we hope that these stories have shared God's good news with you and helped to strengthen your faith as well, Now, tonight's speaker has lived a life of service, both to his country and to God as well. He'll tell his story of how even during the darkest times in his life, how God has guided his life through the abundant, bountiful times, as well as through fear and challenging times uh, while serving in the Vietnam War, and how this has shaped his life of service. And now it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker for tonight, Bill Roby. In 1971, First Lieutenant Bill Roby returned to the US with survivor's guilt after serving in Vietnam, which he will certainly be talking about more in just a few moments. Uh, his newfound patriotism grew into a passion for those serving today to not, to not to suffer any of the pains he had endured as a result of his service. After returning from Vietnam, Bill started in the insurance business. In 1984, he, along with two other partners, purchased the Langen Insurance Agency, which was sold 16 years later to BB&T Insurance Services. He has served the community in many, many ways over the years, sharing his time, treasure, and talent of many ways, such as Corporate Chairperson for Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, the President of Ascension's Booster Club, Co-Chair of the American Heart Association, Executive Board Member of the YMCA Safe Place, Capital Fundraising Committees for the Home of the Innocents, Kentucky Baptist Homes for Children, and St. Mary's Center. Bill has been Vice Chairman of the Board of Directors for Distance Charities as well since 1998 married to his high school sweetheart for 47 years. Bill and his wife, Mary Jane, have four children and eight grandchildren, most of whom are all here with us today. Uh, This is a very special honor for me because if you haven't put the names together yet, Bill happens to be my dad as well. So please uh, welcome up here, Bill Roby.
1: Thank you, Karen. Well, good evening, and thank all of you all for coming this evening. This is terrific on a night like this uh, that you would come out. I, w- I want to thank the CEO team <clears throat> for allowing me this opportunity to speak with you all tonight. And I'm truly honored to share with you my story of how God has walked with me in my journey to find his plan for my life. Throughout my life, God has shared me with many, many blessings. Most important of those blessings are here with me this evening. My wife of 47 years, Mary Jane, three of my four children are here, two daughters-in-law, one son-in-law, and seven of my eight grandchildren are here. I recall my first encounter with God occurred at Holy Spirit School. Sister Casca was our fifth grade teacher, and she invited the fifth grade up to the choir one day at the beginning of school, and so we sang this song and as as soon as the song was over she pointed that finger at me as some of you can remember how that went and she says young man you need to go down and see the priest because you just flunked your first opportunity to be in the choir so I became an altar boy and I loved serving mass as an altar boy kneeling on those hard um, floors that they had at Holy Spirit back then I became the first substitute to be a altar boy. I'd ride my bike up in the mornings, and I just loved serving. So I had a relationship with God that started in the fifth grade. After that, the next time that I found God was in the St. X High School Chapel. I had left Holy Spirit, and of course, in my mind, I thought I was some hot shot quarterback. And when I went to St. X and found out they had other guys that were more talented than me, I played for a year and a half, but I really didn't get any playing time, so I thought I would, you know, show those coaches, right? I quit the team. Uh, That decision was a major mistake, probably one of the biggest ones I've ever made. During my sophomore year after that, I became quite rebellious with my decision after quitting, and I struggled in my sophomore year. But I found the St. X Chapel as a place of solace and where I could find peace with God. I continued to go to the chapel and mass at every opportunity while attending St. X. After graduating, I then went on to college at Xavier University in Cincinnati. I was not the best student by any means, but I did keep a 2.4 average through four years of college. And the way I did it is I made a habit of going to St. Robert Bellarmine Chapel at noon, either prior to school or right after uh, classes because the chapel was between my dorm and the classrooms. Somehow God got me through college and I began to believe in the power of God more and more each year. Mary Jane and I were married in the summer of my junior year in college. I had made the decision to continue on with ROTC and to graduate and become a commissioned officer in the United States Army. The the war in Vietnam was at its height during this time period And knowing I would be drafted upon graduation, I chose to go into the military as an officer instead of being drafted. In May of 1969, my wife proudly pinned on my second lieutenant little gold bars. My parents were in attendance. It was a very proud time for all of us. And we looked forward to what was coming in the future. Little did we know what was in store. After graduation, we spent a couple of months in Louisville, Then we loaded up our Firebird convertible with everything we owned and drove to Fort Bliss, Texas for our first duty. We looked like the Clampets from the Beverly Hillbillies with everything loaded up driving to Texas. I worked with Nike Hercules Missiles and we thoroughly enjoyed our time with our other young second lieutenants and their wives. We attended mass every Sunday and loved the the atmosphere in the local church as many were young military families. We were so happy in May of 1970 when Mary Jane delivered our first child, Billy. We constantly prayed that our little family could stay in Fort Bliss, Texas, or be assigned to another base in the United States. We fervently prayed that I would never receive orders for Vietnam. As God began to move forward with His plan for me, I received orders to report to Fort Benning, Georgia for Infantry Platoon Leader School. After that, off to the war in Vietnam. I spent 30 days at Fort Benning pretty much alone, wondering why God had put me in this position to lead men in war and possibly never return home. I was really questioning what God's plan was for me during this period of time. I kept saying, why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? I recall at times I was very angry with God for putting me in this position, but I quickly realized that he was the only one that could keep me safe in a war zone. Upon returning to Louisville after that, Mary Jane and our three-month-old son, Billy, we were at my parents' house the evening before I left. I'll never forget, it was as it was time to leave, I was holding my son, and I walked into the hall bathroom, I closed the door, and I told him, I promise you I will come home safely. As my eyes welled up with tears, I knew I could not make this promise to my young son because it was God's decision whether I would return or not. I kissed little Billy goodbye. I handed him to my mother and my wife, and I walked out the door, not knowing whether I would ever see him or my parents or my wife again. However, the one positive I had in my life at that moment was my faith in God that he would return me home safely. While I was in Vietnam, Mary Jane would bring little Billy over to my parents' house every day around 4.30, and my dad would babysit Billy while Mary Jane and my mother attended the 5 p.m. Mass at Holy Trinity Church. I also received many letters from family members and others that said they were praying extra prayers for my safe return home. It was very comforting to receive those letters from home, knowing everyone was supporting me and praying for me to return safely. I took every opportunity on Sunday mornings while I was in Vietnam to find a mass somewhere if I could. Early on Sunday mornings, I would grab one of my buddies and get a key to the motor pool, jump in a Jeep, and we'd go find a mass somewhere it was being said that morning. Word would get around that a chaplain would be having mass in a concrete bunker uh, in a mess hall on on the hood of a Jeep. It didn't matter. What mattered is that I found a place to receive Holy Communion and ask God to keep me safe. I mentioned earlier in May of 1969 when I was commissioned, standing next to me was another second lieutenant, Robert T. Rice, Jr. He was a very popular man in college and was the Xavier University mascot his junior and senior years. We both had been sent to Fort Benning, Georgia for infantry platoon leader school and had arrived in Vietnam around the same time. Within a matter of two weeks, he was killed. This constantly played on my mind that I would suffer the same fate. Every day, you wake up thinking, this may be my last day. That thought changes your perception on everything. When I first arrived in Vietnam, my relationship with God was good, but it continued to grow and I began to develop a deeper love of God and a closer relationship with him. I began to understand he was my friend, and I would say quick little prayers during the day, just as if he were standing there next to me. In a land far away, God became my best friend. He became the foundation of my existence. He became my confidant. As time marched on, I began to realize that I may survive, and God may want me to return home to fulfill whatever plan it was he had in store for me. The turning point was somewhere around six months when I began to think that every time I heard the whistle of an RPG go over my head, that I was going to be killed. An RPG is a rocket-propelled grenade which the enemy would shoot, and it was, as it was going overhead, it had a whistling sound. The good news was that you would hear the whistling sound for a few seconds, and as it went over your head, then it would explode somewhere else and not where you were. The bad news was, if you heard the whistle stop immediately, that meant it would be exploding where you were. After hearing many of the whistles from the rockets going overhead and ducking and crouching, I believed I would be saved. Now, what do you think every time I heard a whistle go over my head, knowing what that was, if it hit could die. What do you think I was saying to myself? What do you think I did? I put my hands over my head and I crouched and I said, please God, don't let this kill me now. And it was over my head. And it happened over and over and over again. Thank God. Just as my relationship with God strengthened during this time, I grew in confidence that I would return safely to fulfill his plan. I returned home on July 4th, 1971. After landing in Oakland, California, I began the out-processing, out-processing procedure to leave the Army and return home. We were treated very poorly. We were told to immediately take off your military clothes and put on the civilian clothes that you'd had before. You see, at that time, our country did not support the Vietnam veterans at all. Some of my buddies and I went out that first night in Oakland, and we were refused a beer at a local beer joint. They knew we were military from our haircuts. Once I came back to Louisville, it was very apparent to me that the employers in this town were not anxious to hire Vietnam veterans. We were very much looked down on. Upon returning home, many of my fellow veterans were spit on by the American public. The Vietnam War was extremely unpopular in the minds of the Americans, and they took it out on the men and women who had served their country so bravely and so proudly. About three months after returning home, I got a job and my wife and I bought a small house out in the St. Gabriel Parish where our next two children, Scott and Karen, were born. We attended mass there every Sunday and very much enjoyed being active in the church. Since we were quickly outgrowing our first house, we decided to move into the Ascension Parish where our fourth child, Brian, was born. We stayed in the Ascension Parish for 31 years before coming here during which time we raised all four of our children through Ascension School, and both my wife and I became very active in all facets of the church and the school, from communion ministers to PTO to cheerleading coordinator to men's club president. I was even honored to be picked to be the chairperson of the $2.5 million campaign to renovate the Ascension Church and school. It was during this time that that I donned a Santa Claus suit to become a Santa's helper. Mary Jane would drive me dressed as Santa to private parties, and in particular, Cozer Children's Hospital, where we'd be part of the Christmas program for the kidney transplant and diabetes units there. For many of those years, I would bring my children to the hospital so they could witness the interaction between the children and Santa Claus. It was an emotional time for everyone in attendance. It was at this time that I thought being a Santa's helper and serving the young children in the community was part of God's plan for me. I continued on with this tradition for approximately 23 years. What I didn't know for the first 20 years after leaving the military is that I had returned home with survivor guilt. If you think you know what survivor guilt is, raise your hand. Anybody know what survivor guilt is? Larry knows. Well, I'll tell you what the definition is. Feelings of guilt for having survived a catastrophe in which others died. This term was first coined after the Holocaust many years ago and once again was prevalent after the Twin Tires tragedy on 9-11. I didn't understand what was happening to me. I never received any treatment. But I had this guilt as to why Robert T. Rice Jr. had died and I had survived. I felt ashamed I had come home. I felt I would not done my job in serving my country. I felt I would let my best friend, God, down because I would not been killed. I was very ashamed of myself. I never shared those thoughts with anybody, including my wife. You may sit there and you say, well, that's odd or kind of weird thinking. Well, just ask the survivors of 9-11 attack about survivor guilt. I thought about my survivor guilt constantly, and on Memorial Day of 1991, I hosted a Vietnam memorial service in my backyard. That year, we had just moved to a home in Regency Woods that backed up to the Oxmoor Golf Course. I had erected a 28-foot flagpole with a granite monument about that big and a bronze plaque which read, for those who defended it in Vietnam, this flag proudly flies. I invited about 10 Vietnam veterans standing behind me, men and women, during a presentation that we had. And as well as there was probably about 150 friends, neighbors, relatives who came to witness this event. After the service was over, we sang, God bless America, as the sun was going down, the crowd came forward and hugged those 10 Vietnam veterans and me. This was the first time in 20 years any of those 10 veterans had ever been thanked for their service, and many broke down into tears. It was at this point that I began to realize it was okay to come home alive from Vietnam, and my survivor guilt seemed to just melt away within about 24 hours. I also realized that God had another plan for me and that I had returned home safely to fulfill his plan. Even though it took 20 years, God once again answered my prayers to free me from my survivor guilt. Looking back, I realized the survivor guilt was part of God's plan all along. I spent my entire career working in the insurance industry. I worked for a couple of insurance agencies in the 19. 19- 88 purchased along with two other partners, the Langan Insurance Agency. I was appointed as president and CEO, and our team grew that agency uh, from $600,000 in revenue to $6 million in revenue in the 16 years that we owned it. We had developed a family-friendly culture at Langan Insurance, all the while growing profits every year, which ultimately made us a target to be purchased. Fast forward to the year 2004, BB&T Insurance Services bought the insurance agency. I was asked to be a manager, but more importantly, get involved in the community around Louisville. As Karen mentioned earlier, I picked a number of children's nonprofits, became involved as a board member. I thoroughly enjoyed my experience as a board member. However, I knew there was something missing, something was nagging me. I needed to do something else to fulfill God's plan for me, but I couldn't find what it was. So I worked with a Christian-based life coach out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who helped me find my personal mission statement. My personal mission statement became helping military families in crisis throughout the country so that they would not suffer as I had. I struggled for about three years as I looked at many options to fulfill my personal mission. God has blessed me with success in my life, and I always reflected on Luke chapter 12, verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. It was now time to turn my success into significance. I had a passion to reach out and be significant in changing the lives of military families in our country. As God would have it, I had the opportunity to speak with Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, and General Cohen Powell, both within about three months of each other. I told both of these men, I want to make a difference in the lives of military families. I want to serve military families. I want to start a nonprofit. I want to do this. I want to do that. Both of those gentlemen said exactly the same thing. You need to go see USA Cares. You need them, and they need you. Okay, I wasn't going to tell the general no. So I knew a little bit about USA CARES at that time. They're a relatively new veteran service organization outside, housed outside the gates at Fort Knox, who had helped the families of soldiers serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. The organization provided emergency financial help to military families in crisis. I immediately joined the board, and within a couple of years was promoted to the vice chairman position to succeed General John Tyndall in 2012, as the National Board Chairman. I have held that position since and have been blessed to be asked to serve another three-year term. To date, that organization has assisted over 80,000 military families across the country and granted out over $12 million. I realized early on as a board member that God was preparing me for this position through my 43 years of work in the insurance business. My leadership skills had prepared me to fulfill his plan for me. I feel so blessed that God has put me in this position and I thoroughly enjoy changing lives and making a difference serving others. Remember now, I had thought God's plan for me was serving children as a Santa Claus helper. Once in the national board position, I realized this was truly God's plan for me. And he had put me right where he wanted me to be. When I was first preparing to sign onto the board, I asked Mary Jane for her permission to go along on this journey. And not only did she give me permission, but she has supported me unbelievably during this time, as well as my children and my grandchildren. I've been so blessed to be in this position to meet not only some of the bravest men and women, that have served our country so proudly, but many donors whose hearts and checkbooks go out to help our military families. We are continually amazed when we are surprised with large checks that come in that we didn't expect at all. Many times we have things happen in this organization that we cannot explain. So we simply call these checks and these incidents a God thing. The majority of our board and staff are very faithful Christians and believe that God has his hand in making this charity a success. I have also spent some time with some of our very bravest warriors who have fought these past 14 years. I had an opportunity to spend six days with 14 suicidal Iraq and Afghanistan veterans this past summer. The majority of these men were seasoned Marine snipers. There had been 35 unsuccessful suicide attempts in these 14 men in the past number of years. When we first met on Sunday afternoon, they were all extremely despondent. And this was probably, again, one of their last chances at living. When we shook hands and hugged on Friday afternoon, every and each, each and every one of them left with hope that they had a future how did this transformation occur in such a short period of time basically the team prayed and meditated every morning and every evening before bed we had three things to build the foundation on one was faith faith in God that he would help these men through their trials and tribulations in their PTSD and their traumatic brain injuries In the problems they were having in their personal life. Second was hope, that they could find hope this week, that they could continue to live and not attempt to take their life. And last was love, to love one another and respect each other. They related stories, incidents, personal history, some things I can't even tell you here. They talked about their feelings. They screamed. We cried, we hugged together, and after two or three days when we hugged, we began to tell each other how much we respected each other and how much we loved each other. And if you could see these warriors hugging and crying, I'm talking about real men. It was something. It was a fiercely emotional experience. I know every man there felt God's hand on their shoulder, guiding them to a better state of mind. In the nine months since we have met, not one man has attempted suicide. Again, just another opportunity God has given me to help change lives as I work in the plan that he has laid out for me. How do I know this is God's plan for me? First, the Bible states in Matthew, chapter 25, verse 40 says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Those military families that we are serving have encountered very difficult roads and great sacrifices in their lives as a result of their military service to our country. Therefore, it is my feeling that I am living this Bible verse by serving my brothers and sisters who are struggling so severely. Secondly, the community has risen up to support me by sharing me with accolades. I was blessed to receive the TV Bell Award in October for my service to the veteran community. And shortly after, afterward was featured in an article in the local Business First newspaper, again outlining my journey serving military families. W- why do I mention that to you? Doesn't that sound a bit braggadocious? Well... Here's my response. A common expression I have heard before is, preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. To drive my point home, let me repeat it. Preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. I just happen to believe that by physically serving others, I'm evangelizing what God wants me to do. The fact the community at large picks up on my actions just adds to my evangelization. I'm evangelizing through my actions, not necessarily through my words. When the community supports me in this manner, I've become even more energized that I know I am doing the right thing in serving others. I know I'm now working in God's plan. So what does the future look like? I retired 15 months ago from the insurance world. I have more time to commit to serving military families. I also attend morning Mass as frequently as possible. And the fact that I have six grandkids in the school allows me the opportunity to sit with many of them during their class day to attend Mass. I just mentioned a minute ago, actions speak louder than words. On average, I'm with a grandchild three or four days a week, and then my wife and I, sit with all six grandchildren back here on Thursdays for the all-class Mass. Again, generally speaking, there may be another grandparent or two with a grandchild attend Mass. But most days, other than the all-class Mass, it's just me and a grandchild. So I ask you, what example is that setting in front of all the other grandparents at Mass and to the children in the class that morning? Best of all, my grandkids love sitting next to their grandfather in church. I will continue to ask God to improve my performance as a board chairman, become more effective and efficient, thereby raising many more dollars to be granted to military families in crisis. I will also ask God to help me improve as a husband, a father, and a grandfather. I also believe God wants me to continue to move forward to set an example of service to others. And it's not only my children and grandchildren who are witnessing my efforts. The community is now watching what I'm doing. I believe this is my way of spreading the word, evangelizing through actions. In closing, I reflect upon our wedding day in 1968. Yes, Karen, 47 long years ago. We repeated the vows for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. Mary Jane and I have experienced all of those, and she has always been there supporting me, and without that support, I would not have found God's plan for me. So I will leave you with this question. What are you doing to find God's plan for you? Thanks for your time and attention. God bless you.
0: Sure you can all see while well, we are very proud of our pop. Fabulous job, thank you. Um, we ask for your prayers to uh, so that the good news and the CEO program can continue here at Saint Margaret Mary. And we'd like for you to invite a friend uh, to attend our next session, so that we can continue to grow the program and share the wonderful stories like the one that uh, Bill shared with us here just a minute ago. Our next event is set for May fifteenth at six thirty again. When Debbie Gonsowski shares her story called "Coincidence or God Moments," through divorce, annulment, and remarriage, Debbie learned that God was always with her, beckoning her to come closer through the many God moments that she experienced. So please uh, join us for that. Uh, so once again, uh, we are very appreciative. Bill, for sharing your story with us, and again, for all of you for coming out here tonight to hear his story and to continue to build our CEO program. So uh, we'd love for you to join us in the hospitality room. We have some cookies and coffee and some great fellowship. So thanks again, and enjoy the rest of your Sunday night.